Hi listeners, and today we've got Dr. Robert Bust with us. One of the things I've always liked about you, Bob, is that you've, you've given prime importance always to dietary and lifestyle factors, um, rather than the supplements being the first cab off the rank. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've always in, um, embraced what you've said about the flavonoids in mm. our diet. And so can you talk a little bit about the importance of those? And I remember one of the little catch cries you had about the colours. Oh, actually, yeah. Uh, I think the catch cry you're referring to is that anything that stains your fingers red, blue or purple, which are the anthocyanins and some of the pigments, and you also mentioned like beta carotene and that, you know, any of those really highly coloured things full of flavonoids or carotenoids, and they're really good for you. Mm, <laughs> uh, except for textures. <laughs> yeah, that's right, except for textures. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, the, but I think the main thing we need to do is to get back to eating uh, a diet that is high in a lot of these berries particularly are high in those fruits that stain your fingers really important and all the colored vegetables mm. also um, if you get into grains get into whole grains eat the whole grain that's got all the dietary fiber and beta glucans and all the bits and pieces that are in there that are not present in white flour they're not present in sugar then they're not present in all of those things that we now um, you know make up our, our entire diet and it's no wonder that we have the huge amount of um, breakdown, if you like, of our fats and, and a lot of the major um, macromolecules in our body mm. have been modified, oxidized, glycated, you said advanced glycation end products. Yeah. All this doesn't happen yeah. if we have the right sort of diet. We right sort of balance, we eat seasonal foods, and we don't tamper with it. We have tampered with our food far too much, and that is the reason why we have what we now call you know, coronary artery disease, heart disease, atherosclerosis, you name it. They're all different names for the same thing. Something's gone wrong in our arteries and in our, in our, in our heart. Yeah. And I think also putting that into the context of modern life where people still want to enjoy the, you know, those evil things. <laughs> I, um, one of the things that I have embraced again that, that you always um, – recommended was even when you're having something that isn't necessarily a good food, like let's say some ice cream, mm-hmm. put some berries, put some uh, some blueberries and some strawberries on it. And I, I also sprinkle my probiotics onto my ice cream. And mm. so at least it has some functional aspect. And I, I got to say, over the years, I've decreased the ice cream, ice cream and I increased <laughs> the berries. I'll, I'll now have, I'll go through a punnet of blueberries yeah. In, a, in one sitting. Well, that's, that's perfect. I mean, you know, you should never take out the things that make you feel happy. There's a thing called happiness factor that I think is a factor that's a nutritional factor almost. Absolutely. You know, you watch someone with a lovely smile and they're grinning and they're really happy with life. That is translated through to just about every um, system that we've got in the body. You know, it lowers stress hormones and it, it, it just makes everything in work. Inflammation, yeah. In inflammation and the rest of it, that's right. So, yeah, let's, let's, get, let's get more into eating the things that we like, but eating less of it. We, I think we were having a chat on this yesterday about mm. the French. I mean, the reason that the French seem to have a, a Mediterranean paradox is, yeah, they have olive oil and they have red wine and have lots of saturated fat too. But the thing is, they have pity for, they have the tiny little bit of something that just tastes good. Mm. They don't go overboard. They don't overeat. 
And overeating is one of the biggest problems that we've got in this whole scenario that we haven't even mentioned yet. Mm. If you want to live longer, if you want your triglycerides to come down, insulin resistance to go down, if you want to get your blood sugar right, you want to bring down your, the bad sort of cholesterol and increase the good stuff, all you've got to do is cut your calories 25%. Mm. That's it. Just cut it 25% because what we're doing at the moment, we've got a washing machine and instead of putting one load of washing in, we're putting <laughs> two or three loads and out comes this half clean clothes and you think, well, I wonder what happened there. Yeah. You know, it didn't work properly. Of course it didn't work properly. We've put too much clothes in the washing machine. Yeah. Now we all overeat. We eat the wrong foods and we overeat and all that overeaten food has to go through the mitochondria. It all goes through. It doesn't come out as a stool. It all goes through first through the mitochondria. Yeah. And the poor old mitochondria are working overtime. And that's where you generate all these free radicals. You generate all these electrons go bizzing off around the mitochondria, causing enormous amounts of damage. And, of course, they damage the macromolecules in the same way. So, really, eat the good food that we're talking about and lower the amount that you're eating. So... Practical aspects, practical little tips that you could give your patients um, in decreasing the amount that you eat. One of the things I do is I say, put down your knife and fork after you've had a mouthful. Each mouthful, put down your knife and fork onto the plate. Chew your food. Um, try and make a like a force field around yourself, if you like, for the day's stresses and concentrate on enjoying your food. Um, never eat when you're stressed. Always, you know, just make a little... Um, sanctuary, if you like, for your meal, um, and uh, try and have a conversation with somebody during a meal mm. rather than a rush thing. Is there any other tips that you teach your patients? Well, I think they're all excellent, what you've just mentioned. And, and I'd also say that when you have a, a shopping list, put down what it is that you're going to buy for the week and only buy that and get rid of everything in the house mm. That when you're in a, in a sensible, sane state of mind, <laughs> not when you're feeling like a bit of a breakout for a Mars bar or something, yeah. but when, you, when you've got that state of mind, just get everything out of the house and only have in the house what you think is good, wholesome, seasonal food. I mean, then I think it will work because it'll keep reminding you also, if you can't find all the bad foods that we're mm. talking about, um, then you're, you're way ahead, aren't you? You're way ahead in being able to have the willpower to actually stay on the program. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you've just had something to eat, a lot of, of my patients have said to me, look, I've just had my dinner and I'm still hungry. And what am I going to do? And I say, go for a walk. Yeah. So get up from the table, you know, put on your sneakers and get out there and walk for half an hour. Hmm. You know, but just get out of the particular place where you feel like, oh, I'm just going to break out. I'm going to eat more. I'm going to get some bread and butter and honey and I'm going to eat, you know, um, an ice cream or whatever. Now, hopefully there's no ice cream there, <laughs> but you might have honey in the cupboard, you know, <laughs> this organic, you know, wonderful honey. But remember, there's a lot of fructose in honey, too. Um, and when people go out for dinner, because, you know, mm. we're quite a social culture, um, one of the tips I give people is if, let's say, they're going to have a, um, a, a beautiful salad with a dressing on it, I just say, can you have the dressing on the side? Mm. Um, because very often those dressings are um, include a mayonnaise type thing, which is includes these glycated sort of sugars, if you like, um, and so I ask for it on the side so that I can control how much I have with my beautiful fresh salad. Do you, is there any, any other tips that you give your patients when they're living their life? 
day to day. No, I mean, that, that's excellent advice as well because also with food sensitivities and chemical sensitivities, if, if it's, you know, there's some sort of sauce or a mayonnaise or something all over the food that you're eating, you, you often don't know what that is. So, yes, always have the sauces and the things on the side so that you can either put it on or not put it on depending on, um, you know, whether you have an allergy to something or not. Um, but no, that, that's basically it. I, I think that you shouldn't not go out, mm. but you should choose the restaurant that you know is going to have food that is far better for you than yeah. another restaurant where you know everything on the menu is mm. going to be absolute disaster. Yeah. And just uh, an added point to what you were saying about I'm still hungry. I think the biggest, one of the biggest factors in still being hungry, in that hunger urge is eating too fast. So if we can eat slower, chew our food until it's paced, mm. um, and then, as you say, you know, get up out of the table once you finish a serving. Don't have another serving. Mm. Get up and move around and let, that, let those hunger hormones you know, soothe mm. the body, you know, sort of thing. I'm sure you're right because the Chinese w- would, would acknowledge that because they sit around the table and they have you know, multiple courses and it's very slowly mm. eaten. I mean, I've been at Chinese dinners that last for three or four hours. You know, when you're home, I mean, have you seen a cocker spaniel eat a piece of meat? No. Well, (laughs) what I mean is you you, you don't see it because it's it's in the bowl and suddenly all the meat has disappeared in about, you know, about 10 seconds. And I mean, that's what you're saying. Don't eat too quickly, but chew and eat consciously. I mean, we've stopped being conscious human beings. You know, we're off thinking about tomorrow or thinking about what we should have said to Joe Blow yesterday who parked in your spot in your workplace. I mean, that's not the way to do it. We've got to stay in the present moment. And, and and be grateful for what we're doing and be there and, and do it slowly and do it with great consciousness. Yeah. Um, just an added point about the, the meat that you mentioned earlier. Um, one of the things I've done is and noticed is even if you get the pre-cooked chicken from the supermarket, you look at the organic ones and you smell them compared to the other ones. Mm. And the other ones just reek. I, I can't eat them now. Um, and we we will always choose the organic chicken, yeah, yeah. and it just there's this really fresh aroma. The other thing is with the um, the beef, you know, it's not easy to come by. There's only a couple of retailers that have it. Then it's not widely available. So if you look up, if the listener looks up grass fed beef, mm. there's a few markets and things that that are um, around where you can obtain this stuff, but it isn't easy to come by. You've really got to search for it a bit. And it's really so important, isn't it, mm. you know, to, to have a look at the labels, read what's on the labels. But, you know, I notice that the supermarkets at the moment, you know, an organic chicken, you need to have 72,000 chicken per hectare, and that's what's called organic. Yeah. They're trying to, the supermarkets, without mentioning names, are trying to make it 15,000 per hectare, right. which, which is six or seven shooks per square metre. Now, is that organic That's for you? Crazy. No. I mean, six or seven chooks per square metre. I mean, they're on each other's backs, mm. practically. You know, it's just it's shocking. But anyway, you're right. Look, let's read the labels and, and try and find that the food quality that we're taking in is as good as we think it is. And yeah. then we're not going to have the problems that we're talking about with the cardiovascular thing and, and the, um, the, the problem with the fats and the cholesterol and everything else. Yeah. So we've, you know, mentioned chicken, we've mentioned beef. Uh, going on to another meat, one of the, our favourites, fish. And. Mm. You know, we we all know about the the um, nutritional value of fish, and fish oil in itself can be a supplement that you can use to help reduce your cardiac risk. Can can you talk about the the major trials? Maybe a little bit go into you know we we know about the DART trial, the Jealous trial, and the Gissy trials, and um, 
The Jealous trial was important to me because it was in a fish-eating culture, the Japanese EPA lipid intervention study. Um, and so it was in a, a Japanese culture, they eat fish, so they already have the EPA and the DHA, but they gave as an intervention pure EPA, 1,800 milligrams, and they found that they reduced their cardiac events with cholesterol medicines, existing cholesterol medicines, and that was despite no reduction in cholesterol. Can you explain a little bit about what's going on there? Yeah, well, I mean, it's so important to have omega-3s. As I mentioned before, we've moved away from a ratio in our diet of, say, one or two to one of uh, omega, um, omega-6 to omega-3 to about 20 to 1, maybe 30 to 1 in, in some cases. Now, this is a huge, huge change in the intake of our omega-3, omega-6 balance. What it means, and I think that Japanese study showing that, you know, we are so deficient in omega-3s, and particularly mm. there's a difference between alpha-linolenic acid that you get from linseed oil and flax oil and the EPA, DHA, which you, you'll get from fish. You can also get it from algae. There's, there's other sources. Mm. But basically, you know, people say, oh, what should I have? If you want the eicosanoids to be the appropriate balance, you've got to have EPA, DHA, simply because they're the precursor to leukotrienes, for example, of the 4-series, are, are very inflammatory. Um, some of the prostaglandins of the two series also um, are related to pain and, and, and a whole lot of things that we don't want in our body. But if you change the arachidonic acid, which is the precursor to EPA, you're going to get a whole, a whole different cascade of inflammatory substances, and, or, or in fact they're less inflammatory, and also pain-causing substances, so there's less pain and so on. So it really is important to increase, for everybody, to increase their, uh, their fish oil supplements or eat fish. Mm. But when you're eating fish, there's something you've always got to remember. A lot of the farm fish in Australia at the moment, uh, they're feeding them casein, they're feeding them soy, they're feeding oh, yeah. them gluten, uh, and all of these things are just not the appropriate food. Mm. They should be getting sardines, anchovies, herring, you know, mm. so that they've got the omega-3s or algae. In the cold waters, you actually get an, an omega-3 source. Mm. If you, you get a fish that runs from Tasmania up to the Barrier Reef, they're going to change their food supply and they're not going to have omega-3s. So if you've got hot water fish... Mm or warm water fish instead of cold water fish, you're going to have an entirely different balance. So don't bother eating the hot water fish if you want omega-3s. You've got to get it from the cold water. Yeah. And because we don't know where our fish comes from, even farm fish, it makes a lot of sense to take a supplement. But you've got to be sure that the supplement isn't full of all sorts of um, lead, mercury, arsenic, and a whole lot of things that, that through biomagnification uh, can occur. So it needs to be... Um, you need to check with the manufacturer to make sure that the EPA, DHA that you're taking is as pure as possible. Yeah. And um, you mentioned right at the beginning when you're talking about the cholesterol uh, molecule that it's got all these carotenoids and other antioxidants that are into them. Can you explain a little bit about some of those antioxidants, particularly, say, the tro tocotrienols? Well, the tocotrienols are really interesting because I don't know... Most people out there probably think vitamin E is a single molecule and D-alpha-tocopherol is the natural molecule and, of course, this is what we've been um, taking for a long time. But recent research in the last five, ten years has come into uh, an understanding that there are actually eight isomers uh, and these eight molecules 
uh, consisted of two classes. One of them is tocotrienols, which are unsaturated side chains, and the other one is tocopherols. And there's alpha, beta, delta, and gamma tocopherol, and there's alpha, beta, delta, and gamma tocotrienols. And now those eight are a complex. They're an orchestra. Mm. They work together. They all have their own features that are so important for preventing inflammation. Uh, they're important particularly for the heart patient because we now know that uh, it'll bring blood pressure down, it'll raise HDL, it'll lower the bad LDLs, it'll prevent oxidation of fats in general, including all those fats we're talking about that are highly unsaturated. So the new research on the tocopherol and the tocotrienol is outstanding. And you know what? I, as soon as it comes through that the tocopherol and the tocotrienol, I'm taking it on a daily basis. I really think it's that important. Um, but vitamin E was lambasted really a few years ago. I understand there's some issues about what quote unquote vitamin E was. Yeah, well, people thought that the natural vitamin E was in fact D alpha tocopherol. And in fact, that is now made from taking your gamma and your delta tocotrienol, oh, sorry, tocopherol, delta and gamma tocopherol and methylating it. So you can either add one or two methyl groups and you get alpha, D-alpha tocopherol. So in fact, it's not natural, is it? If, if you've in a, in a laboratory, if you've methylated it. So a lot of people, I think, feel that they're having something natural. It's taken from wheat germ or, or some other natural source. And I think that uh, these days, most of the vitamins, the B vitamins, as well as vitamin E, they're all synthetic because the costs go down by having synthetic um, uh, molecules. Mm. And I'm not saying that's so bad because what you're doing is you're actually synthesizing something that the body is used to. The problem is if you just take one molecule without all of its family of molecules around it, mm. it feels uncomfortable. We're looking at nutritional biochemistry. We're looking at an orchestra. We're not looking at a drug. When a drug comes into the body, it changes the mode of action and the behavior of cells. And it does so with a single entity. But when you're looking at nutritional biochemistry, when you're looking at, you're putting biological spare parts into the body. Biological spare parts all work together. They're all great fellas. They all get around. They all have a little drink together. They party on. <laughs> they do all that. But they've got to be together. Otherwise, you're standing there alone hmm. with no friends. And this is nutrition versus pharmacology. And that's why when you're talking at vitamin E, your tocotrienols, your flavonoids, your carotenoids. You've got to have the full family there to get the full benefit, just like the B vitamins. You know, you don't give just B1. Give it with a background of all the Bs. Yeah, totally agree. Good, good advice there. Um, and there are some other things that we can use in, in helping to manage our cholesterol and making sure that it's, it's nice and pure. Like, can you explain a little bit about coenzyme Q10? Yeah, well, coenzyme Q10 is a really interesting molecule. It has such a, a tremendous role to play uh, in giving energy to cells in general because it's one of the key players in the mitochondria. And the mitochondria is where we get 80% of the energy for all the, all the cells of our body. So <clears throat> when there's no oxygen around, the, uh, the cytoplasm is able to generate about 20% of our energy. And this happens during glycolysis from glucose broken down to pyruvate. But when you get into the mitochondria, you've got to have that oxidative phosphorylation chain of enzymes working right because we're generating acid, H, hydrogen, and those hydrogen ions have to combine with oxygen, and that's how we form water. Now, the carbon that's in all of the, the food we eat, that goes into carbon dioxide that dissolves in the bloodstream, and eventually we breathe it out. So 
that's the full series of events when we eat. There's also nitrogen, phosphorus and sulfur around. But if you've got any sort of interruption in oxidative phosphorylation, then the whole energy pathway starts stopping. And that's where it's so important for the heart because we have mitochondria in the heart as well. And the coenzyme Q10, if that goes down, for example, statin drugs, you take enough statins and the coenzyme Q10 level is lowered. And if that happens, you know, you lose your energy. You get myositis, you get painful muscles, you get a whole lot of um, uh, outcomes that you're, you're, you're not wanting in the mentation area. For example, you have a short-term memory loss there's been a lot of cases of amnesia when people take statins. That um, Not everyone gets this, but, but there's a, a huge amount of literature showing that this is the problem, and it's probably one of the main factors that it's related to is the coenzyme Q10, hmm. simply because I think you're interrupting uh, the flow uh, in the mitochondria. So the main energy-generating pathways are interrupted when your coenzyme Q10 level is, is low. I th- and I think one of the major important actions of CoQ10 as well is that it's antioxidant action on cholesterol. Yeah. It's another one of the most important antioxidants. And I alluded to this before when I said that the lipoproteins that carry our cholesterol around in the body, they should have antioxidants plugged into them. Uh, a, a platelet, when it's activated, is just like a mine in the mine. They've got little little protuberances coming out of the side when they're activated. That's an activated platelet. Well, in a way, if you could imagine that the lipoproteins actually have lots of molecules plugged in. There's the tocotrienol, there's the vitamin, uh, tocopherol, there's the um, lycopene, uh, lutein, um, beta-carotene. And, and also, there's the coenzyme Q10. That, that should be in there as well. So all of these antioxidants cover, if you like, the lipoproteins and protect them from oxidation. Because if you have a, a powerful oxida- uh, oxidative state in your bloodstream, if you've eaten all the junk food we talked about earlier in this, this interview, then your blood is going to be um, in an oxidative state and it's going to oxidize the protein. So even if you're eating organic f- foods in the beginning mm. and you're eating the, the best of oils, as soon as it hits your, um, your bloodstream, if you've been eating other foods that's caused, you know, the generation of these things, it's going to deteriorate. So that means that the lipoproteins have to be protected. And that's where all of these things, including coenzyme Q10, Mm. but that's why you need one or two of these molecules, not a lot, maybe up to five of some of them Mm. that are sticking into these, you know, hundreds and hundreds of your different, you know, phospholipids and cholesterol and um, different esters of, of cholesterol and so on, that, which is a lipoprotein bundle. There's large ones and there's small ones. I think one of the other interesting things about CoQ10, you mentioned statin use before, and some people are using CoQ10 when they're on statins for their muscle tiredness. And, you know, there's not good evidence to show that that is... Um, is a reasonable sort of uh, causality. Mm. So it's a sort of level C evidence, even though, you know, decreasing blood pressure with uh, two to 300 milligrams of CoQ10 is level B evidence, and there's lots of better evidence. But what I, one of the reasons I started to think about this was because CoQ10 isn't simply made or solely made via the mavalonate um, pathway, which statins block, but also is synthesized using tyrosine. And Mm. what I was thinking about was this really serious implication of stress. 
Um, so are those people who are stressed, do they have a greater risk of this issue with CoQ10 manufacture and therefore oxidation of cholesterol and the cardiac events leading from that sort of thing? Yeah, this is typical biochemistry, isn't it? I mean, it's so complex mm. and there's so many different pathways and they're all interwoven. But, you know, basically it depends on the level of statin. You could be on 20 milligrams, you could be on 80 milligrams. If you're on a really high dose of the statins, and you're taking, say, 50 milligrams of the coenzyme Q10, whether the coenzyme Q10 is blocked in its manufacture at the level of the HMG co-reductase level, or as you said, it can be made with tyrosine, I think it depends on the levels. If you were to, I mean, I give my patients, I give 450 milligrams of coenzyme Q10, which is a long way above the 50 and 100. Yep. And if someone's on, say, you know, 10 or 20 milligrams of the statins, I think you know, you're going to get a noticeable effect. So the level of evidence that you're talking about would depend on the level of statin and the level of CoQ10. Right, right. So with regards to cholesterol management, you know, we've spoken about fish oil, CoQ10 and some of these carotenoids. What about herbs? Well, I mean, you know, what about herbs? I mean, what sort of herbs did you have in mind? Well, I understand there's things like bergamot. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Bergamot itself was um, a very interesting find uh, in the literature because I've always been interested in Italy. And in Calabria, they've got these amazing trees. that It's it's like a grapefruit and a lemon. But it's a very, very specific um, um, balance of flavonoids. And these flavonoids prevent oxidation of LDL. They bring the blood pressure down. They open up the arteries. Um, they increase the HDL. Like, you know, we're talking about 25 or 30%. They decrease LDL, again, around about 25%. It, it depends on, on the patient. Some of them have uh, high uh, cholesterol. Some of them have high cholesterol and triglycerides. Some have high cholesterol, triglycerides and sugar levels, mm. like metabolic <laughs> syndrome. All of them, all of those groups of people are helped to a tremendous extent by taking the extract of this bergamot. And it's um, once again, it's one of the factors that if you're going to eat the, the, the right sort of foods in your diet, you're getting rid of all the junk food, these are the factors that you can also add. This empowers you. I mean, it empowers you to go home, make the change, and take these extra supplements because the extra supplements are concentrating the type of flavonoids that you need to do the right thing in your arteries. And that's where bergamot is, is absolutely head and shoulders above some of the other, not only citrus fruits, but some of the other herbs in general. And uh, maritime pine bark? Yeah, maritime pine bark is also, I mean, it's been around for a long time, but it it actually is, if you want to improve the integrity of the vascular system and the endothelial layer, it's fantastic because it, it actually makes the... Um, the collagen more pliable and more flexible. It actually um, is able to sop up free radicals. Uh, it does all the things that we've been talking about and lowers blood pressure at the same time, which is which is really important. So if your if your blood pressure is coming down, your arteries are flowing better. Um, your red cells are not rigid, but they're they're flexible and are able to squeeze through the capillaries and exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide. You've got more energy, quite apart from the coenzyme Q10 effect that we mentioned earlier. So they all go together and they work synergistically. They all have a different mechanism of action, which which separates the pharmacological approach with drugs from what we're into, which is is the nutritional medicine approach. Because with nutritional medicine, we're putting all these different factors together. It's a little bit like an Indian curry. 
Uh, if you make an Indian curry, the best way is to get all of the 16 herbs and spices mm. and put them together, you know, start off with your garlic and your ginger, your galangal and your, you know, put them all in, a bit of chilli and then just slowly, with, with a little bit of oil, probably ghee, mm. which is clarified butter, it doesn't oxidise, I should put that little note in, shouldn't I? <laughs> and and, and what you're doing is you're creating food that is actually medicine. So you've got like a, a couple of handfuls of medicine so that the curry um, and curcumin, I mean, curcumin is one of the latest things we know. It's one of the major anti-inflammatory substances found in turmeric. And it actually can get into the nuclear... It's an epigenetic factor. It can change the genetics and the production of your cytokines and your interleukins and so on. So it's down-regulating the production of what's causing inflammation in your body. You've got all this in your food. Mm. You know, go for a curry, you know, (laughs) plenty of these things. Totally agree. And it's one of the easiest things when you think about cooking. It's one of the easiest things to incorporate into cooking. You just incorporate it into your stir-fry and you just keep on adding more and more um, turmeric until you've got this beautiful yellow chicken or a bit of fish or something like that. Exactly. It's, it's quite lovely. Yeah. So um, just uh, we've gone talked to, spoken about cholesterol and one of the aspects of cholesterol, one of the, the fractions, if you like, of our cholesterol picture is the triglycerides. And it's traditionally one of the hardest things to get down. We know that we can, um, we can start to bring it down with high doses of fish oil Mm. Um, and a new player on the market is the krill oil, talking about the LDL. And what I think is interesting is the krill oil says, oh, we're better than fish. Um, but they're talking about cholesterol, whereas fish doesn't reduce cholesterol. So mm. Mm. to me, it's a different – they're two different aspects. Um, the krill is uh, – it seems to be a turf war. Um, I don't see any issue with using both of them. But can you speak a little bit about the differences – between fish and krill oil? Well, the main difference is that the krill oil has these phospholipids which allow better bioavailability. I think that's, that's the main claim to fame. But yeah. I must point out that the huge body of literature, like there's thousands and thousands of references, very well-controlled trials, everything that you would want with the fish oil. And when I haven't actually seen the, the body of evidence that I would like to see for the krill oil. I, I think mean, it's only one study. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the initial studies were coming through. I think there was a multi-level marketing company that was involved at some stage, and they were all had their fingers in the pie. So I'm always a little bit sceptical. But I'm not saying that krill oil doesn't work. Right. But, of course, it is the flavor of the month, as you know, and it's out there in the marketplace and so on. And if you can believe the research that there at the moment, yes, there is a better bioavailability. You don't need as much of it. But talking about triglycerides, I think that one of the main things we need to understand is the more you increase increase your sugar level, the more your triglycerides go up. Yeah. Because sugar increases the triglyceride levels, particularly in the, in the liver. We've got to try and pull the, the triglycerides down by cutting sugar out as much as possible, but, you know, keeping a little bit in for a treat every now and then. I'm not saying you become a wowsy, you know, mm-hmm. but you, you can have a little bit. And the other one is, as you said, the uh, EPA, DHA um, um, supplements themselves over a period of, of time, are going to pull those triglycerides. So if you get rid of the sugar and you get uh, a, a reasonable dose of the EPA, DHA, you're going to pull the triglycerides down. Yeah, and it, it, just following on from what you're saying about krill oil, you know, again, I'm actually becoming a bit of a fan of krill oil, but not because it's better than fish oil. Mm. I like it because of its carotenoid um, oh, incorporation, yeah. the astaxanthin, um, which is a, like a true... 
antioxidant that sort of sits right throughout the membrane mm. and sort of allows this cellular communication to go on. And, mm. and also what you were saying earlier about its incorporation into cholesterol particles. That's right. Well, it's, that, a, it's another example you know, of what we're talking about. Mm, you know, the exactly. full orchestra. You must have the full orchestra when you're looking at nutritional biochemistry. So those extra little factors are really so important. They, they don't need to be very high, but they need to be there. You know, we're talking about nanomole nanomole quantities of some of these flavonoids and things, mm. but they're really important, particularly in, in the, the array that you need in your body. Yeah. So we've spoken about the different hypotheses. We've spoken about the importance of incorporating a wide array of these flavonoids and a nice balance of natural foods, raw or you know, natural foods. Um, we've spoken about the importance of exercise and stress and eating happy. Mm. Um, and also incorporating some supplements in to help manage not just levels, but very importantly, the oxidation. So, Bob, I thank you so much for joining us today and for elucidating more about this cholesterol myth and uh, in reducing, in the end, heart disease risk in our patients. So thank you so much. That's a pleasure, Walker. 